Welcome everyone to a new episode of You'll Never Talk Alone. I'm your friend Joseph Craven. I'm joined as always by Mr. Alex Level. We are having to deal with the consequences of our actions. We thought, we claimed that the podcast returning in the calendar year of our Lord 2023 would help fix Liverpool's problems. However, it seems like we have only compounded them uh, into significantly worse issues. <laughs> Liverpool coming off of an underwhelming draw in the FA Cup, coming off of an extremely disappointing loss, 3-0 to Brighton in the league. And here we are now on uh, January 15th, as of the recording of this episode, wondering what is left ahead of us. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, some big picture stuff uh, in this episode. But first and foremost, Alex, I'm going to open up uh, things with this particular question. Uh, I'm curious your, your opinion on this. I saw this headline on the always reputable ESPN FC. Uh, all right, the, wor the world's greatest uh, soccer website, unquestionably so. Uh, it is in everyone's opinion that it is a good website and not, in fact, a terrible website. But they had this headline, and it did make me think a little bit about this because I, I, I want to say in our, I want to say friend of the program slash uh, frequent contributor to the program, Will Cave, said this in a group text that this felt worse than the seven nil to Aston Villa. Is that right? Seven, seven two. two. Seven two to Aston Villa. Was it Will who said it or, or Andrew Ainsworth? I forget. I think it was Will who said it, but one of them said that this that 3-0 loss to Brighton felt worse than that. And so the question kind of is, Alex, what's your opinion on this? Is that 3-0 to Brighton the worst loss that we've suffered under Klopp from a performance standpoint? Obviously, 7-2, scoreline, terrible, <laughs> much worse scoreline. But that just felt like the least inspired sloppiest, most discombobulated, like everything was just bad about it. Was that, was that the worst we've seen under Klopp's regime or, or where does, does it kind of at least serve as a contender for that title? It's definitely up there. Uh, it's, it's hard to say exactly. Cause thinking back the, the super injury season uh, version one, I guess we can call it now because <laughs> this is version two that had a lot of those, yep. but I also saw a, kind of a nice follow up to that point that you just made uh, is that a lot of people saw like, okay, we can really pinpoint the issues here. It's that everyone is hurt and that's mm -hmm. all that needs to change. And once they're not hurt, we'll be better. And that's exactly what happened the following season. So there was some hope that you could really look forward to, but right now it just doesn't feel like we do have the same level of hope, which sucks. And I mean, I, I think we're unfortunately seeing the fans go a bit crazy with some of the, the downcastness, but Right now, no, it just feels. No, yeah, who would have thought? Fan, fan base is overreacting. Never. It's insane. It uh, is. But yeah, I mean, it's was terrible. This was one of the worst games I've ever seen us play, uh, especially under Klopp. It was very much a, a Brendan Rodgers Liverpool performance, hearkening back to when we started this. Uh, here we are yet again talking about the same things we did what like eight years ago. <laughs> the same like, yep. what's wrong with this team? We have good enough players. They shouldn't be this bad. But we just look devoid of any motivation, any plans, any ideas, any energy. I can't even really recall us having a good chance. Like I think the Gakpo chance was our best one of the whole match. And it was kind of a 
half chance because he didn't really know where the ball was when he got it and then didn't really know where the ball was when he was trying to poke it home. Uh, other than that, like we just, there was just never a point in that match where it looked like we were going to score or even threaten. And that was sad and it keeps happening. Like we, we drew in the cup, but it was the same type of performance. We just happened to score twice somehow, but this was a culmination of all the things that have been happening over the past few weeks. And it sucks. It was, I think we've both said it, it's not even anger that we feel. It's just kind of a feeling of emptiness and just like, Oh, it's a little bit like that, that classic parental line of I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. is kind of how it feels right now. It's just, it's just disappointing because we know a couple of things. A, we know that uh, the the talent level is there when this team is healthy and this team is is rolling. We know the talent level's there. We also know that the the time is kind of ticking. Uh, the timer is rather uh, kind of ticking on a lot of the core. We talked about that a lot last episode. You know, Virgil's not getting any younger. Uh, Moe's not getting any younger. Allison's starting to uh, get a little bit older too. Although at the same time, I just feel like Allison has nobody in front of him. And that's, that's really been a lot of his issues, but you know, there a lot of the core of this team is aging and yes, we we're doing a great job of bringing in younger guys. All of them are hurt. So then there's that issue. But so we know that like the talents there, but the, the timer's ticking. And so it's this disappointment of, we need to take advantage of where we are right now because we don't want to uh, always have to deal. We don't have to want to have to deal with this all season long where it's where it feels bleak and it feels so so uh i mean bleak is the right word for it that's what you you kind of said earlier it almost feels like we're we're we don't have much hope to fall back on in terms of salvaging this season for sure but there's that kind of underlying frustration or fear that the the clock is going to wind down on the careers of our core players uh with um, something like this and not them being able to go out on top and go out on the, the high note that they deserve to go out on. That might be still to this point pretty unfounded because we've seen so many players that whose careers continue into their 30s and they're still contributing on a solid level, like training uh, routines and disciplines and just like medical science, athletic training. All of that is just at a different point at this this level in, in 2023. So like they're, you know, it's not like, Oh, you're, you're 29 years old. Your career's done. You know, (laughs) that's not the case anymore. Like it used to be, but there is kind of that underlying. So that's why it, it feels exactly like you said, it's, we're not mad at, uh, it's just at the whole thing. We're disappointed in the fact that we don't want this to be the way that things end for those players. And I don't think they will still, you know, but you have a performance like that, which I I do think is, I mean, for the most part, that is top to bottom, got to be considered one of the worst performances we've ever had under Jurgen Klopp because top to bottom, not a single thing was good. Defense was bad. Midfield was non-existent. As you mentioned, there was nothing in attack. It was just top to bottom, an abject disaster. Yeah. And that is frustrating and disappointing to deal with because we know what our expectations really are, but we know that 
we're at a point at which we shouldn't have to be like, oh, well, we're building for next year. Like, we're not there anymore as a club. That was eight years ago. Exactly. Yeah. We're having flashbacks to eight years ago when we know we're not the same club. And I think that that plays a major role in all of this. It definitely does. Uh, it's It shouldn't be where we are. It, it kind of, uh, I know that was a, a large part of what we wanted to actually discuss throughout the course of this episode is the long-term issues and what the solutions to those are. It shouldn't be considering what we've done over the past few seasons and how good we've been, where we should be stuck right now. Like there, yeah. <laughs> we, we shouldn't be in this weird, I, I don't even want to call it a transition period. It's just like what we don't know what it we're doing be. with the squad. Yeah. And we it shouldn't we, be No, And we, uh, it's, it's baffling how we've ended up here. And I mean, there's some things that can be explained with just bad luck or misfortune or side effects of how we play. Uh, but other stuff is things that we thought we were so good at, like the the scouting and the club management and yep. the like family atmosphere of the, of the backroom staff. And I don't think that is lost, but I think there's some decisions and some shortcomings and some gaps that we have and things that have been happening recently, even that are, pretty worrying about how the stuff that was keeping us that got us to our peak is now kind of leading to our decline. Yes, absolutely. And that, that does bleed into what we want to talk about in this particular episode, as you pointed out, we wanted to focus on uh, the, what out of all of this, because last week we talked a lot about the big picture of um, where we've been. And so why this season feels so frustrating compared to, how, how we know we've been performing over the last few seasons, how we know this team can k- still perform and, and how the expectation level is set. But as we look to the future, we have to look big picture and say, okay, we just last week, last episode, we looked back. Now let's look forward. How many of these things do you think, Alex, are, are factors that will play into the long term? Obviously injuries are injuries. You know, if you've got, uh, you've got, all of your replacement players, Luis Diaz, uh, Diego Jota, you know, all the guys that you were wanting to bring in to be the youth revolution and re- the rejuvenation of the squad, all those guys you wanted to be able to rely on, they're hurt and they're missing significant time. And then as soon as they're, you know, uh, in Darwin Nunez, I didn't even mention, you know, Darwin and, you know, and his, his slowness to be able to adjust to the Premier League game as well. But you've got all those factors playing into it. Yes, those are those are short-term things. Those are temporary issues, obviously, much like injury season part one, as you so aptly called it. Uh, the the, the um, solution to that is get everyone healthy. And what do you know? It worked out pretty well. Right now, the solution to short-term things is pretty much the same. Get everyone healthy. And continue that process that we've begun of getting new blood in there, getting youth in there, getting fresh legs in the rotation. What about long-term stuff? When you look at the issues that are going on, um, and you've kind of mentioned a little bit about some of the the changes at the top, and we can talk about that in more detail later, or we can talk about it now as well. But um, what are some of the long-term things that when you look at what the club is going through right now, you look at it and say, this is not something we just have to wait and see on. This is something that we have to really focus on addressing because this is a bigger issue than maybe we've, we've been willing to admit or a bigger issue than we've had to deal with up to now. What are some of those longer-term 
things that you see? I think they all do ladder up a bit to the ownership discussion and yeah. the financial model that the well, there's no skirting around it. We got to talk about it. <laughs> I was going to save it for a yeah. later point. We can, we got to talk about it now. So, but it all kind of ladders up to that. It's because uh, I mean, we're, it's been pretty clear the way that the club runs is it sustains itself. The owners are not putting in much of their money, or they're just yeah. loaning it to the club and taking it back over time. Uh, and the things that they've done to maybe get more self-sustaining money is remodel the main stand and add on to the Anfield Road. Uh, end of the stadium. So those things should help long-term. It might take a little while. It's currently happening right now. That was definitely a big expenditure, especially right after a pandemic. So that is going to hurt right now. And I think it's hurt a bit of what we're trying to do in the market. Uh, so we were stuck still selling to buy, which previous to this season, we didn't want to sell many of the people because everybody was contributing or was injured. So we didn't have a way to get rid of them. Uh, but right. that needs to be reevaluated a little bit because as has been pointed out in every discussion between Carragher and Neville, uh, you can't run a, a club at the top end like that anymore as no. much as you want to. There's got to put that, some money in. Yeah, that was a trend that started up in obviously it when you had the big time financial takeovers of like city and chelsea what 20 years ago whenever it was that like you know they kind of were able to it was established as like that's the kind of the quote unquote new way of building a team is just sell the team to someone <laughs> with uh, endless financial resources that trend kind of continued but obviously there were more feasible trends that that continued underline so other teams didn't have to feel like they had to do that in order to keep surviving but there has been that trend of what they've been talking about in the past few years specifically where it has it seems like it's been a more rapid adjustment to mm -hmm. me at least of this is how you build a team to all of a sudden okay now that doesn't work at all and that's i think that's very that's an interesting and i'm not uh, obviously not a, a financial guy <laughs> so i don't understand how these things work but there's that's a fascinating thing to me how quickly that has changed and how quickly the game itself has changed from that model being a model you can use to very quickly go no this is like really obsolete and only took like two or three seasons Right. And it's coupled into, I think, the larger problem that we have to look at. And it's not necessarily a problem, but it's just a byproduct, really, is that Jordan Henderson. Is, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's the schedule is most packed that it's ever been in the yeah. history of the game. And that's not going to change. It's just going to get worse and worse. They're not going to ditch any of the cups because you can't mess with history, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. The, the Preseason tours are going to be longer. The gaps are going to be shorter. There's going to be more summer tournaments. There's going to be more international tournaments. And that does not uh, dovetail well with our high-intensity style. And we're seeing right now this season that the high-intensity style that was needed with the kind of group of players we assembled that was able to overperform expectations and win all the stuff that they did against all the odds. Like, there's objectively... There, yes, the players are good, and yes, we have an amazing manager, but looking at what we've been up against financially uh, and resource-wise, there's kind of no way we should have really been truly in that conversation, let alone achieved as much as we did. Uh, but because of those two things now, we have to 
bring in more people to have a 20 person squad, not an 18 or a 15 person squad, because you can't keep playing the same players over and over again in the way that we play when we're at our best and expect them to do that three years in a row. Like you're looking at players like Fabinho, who isn't even as old as a lot of our older players who he just, yeah. he's done. Like his legs are gone for now. He hasn't had a chance to have a break. He's got a little better after the world cup when he went to the Brazil squad and didn't play. So just got to rest. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it, the first it half turns season, out controversial terrible. opinion here, but turns out rest is helpful. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought? Uh, and it, that, not only is it leading to the people getting tired, it's leading to more and more injuries, more frequent mm-hmm. injuries. And coupling that with the fact that our medical department seems to be in chaos and doesn't have any people. And we're still looking for a head physio and all that. We're not managing the overworked players very well. And it's leading to a huge swath of injuries. Uh, and I mean, we're not the only club that's facing it, but no. for a club that is in the position we are, that's, with the highest expectations and the littlest margin for error in terms of bringing people in and making sure they hit the ground running. Like we don't have the luxury of having half of them missing most of the time. So I think that is probably one thing we really need to evaluate. And I, I don't want to see it solved by some sports washing regime, which seems to be mm. what's coming up and most likely, cause that's who can really afford clubs anymore. But yeah, that's it's, kind of undeniable at this point that a club at the top level needs that depth of squad to accommodate for the highly intense tactics that they play. And we're just seeing the the side effect of not being able to do that, getting the best out of the 15 that we had and paying the, the price now for playing them 70 matches a season for the past three years. Yeah, no question. It's It, it makes you wonder a little bit because obviously – uh, you know, Fenway has never been super directly involved. You were talking a minute ago about how they obviously were um, trying to set up the club itself to be monetarily self-sufficient, and not put in the, their money. And uh, but even beyond that, I mean, the, the amount of times that they actually are, you know, members or representatives rather are present at matches had shrunk a lot over the years. Uh, it just wasn't super frequent. Um, it was, uh, you know, and then of course the, now of course the sale possibilities, um, and exploring all of that kind of shows that like they, you know, they're obviously there, it was a, it's a business regime. So it makes total sense. They would approach it like a business and say, this is an investment. And now that it could be mega Uber profitable for us, it kind of makes sense for us to explore this. Like you can't fault them for that because that that's their entire business model. So like, you can't be surprised and, 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 uh, and fault them for sticking with their business model. But all that being said, and this is like pure speculation, but you kind of got get the idea looking back that they really, they really like put all like the trust, you know, in people like, like Michael Edwards and, you know, a lot of the people that they kind of had in place to be the front office people uh, but you kind of, and again, pure speculation, having absolutely nothing to you know build this off of other than looking at the fact that so many of those people have left, you have to wonder what else might have been going on in those relationships and whether the people that they put in place to kind of be there, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not caretakers, but um, 
you know, something along those lines. Stewards, like stewards. I guess. The, yeah. yeah. The stewards of the club, you know, the people they put in place, you have to wonder if the stewards didn't trust them. Um, and maybe they were trying to put trust in, in the stewards, but the stewards were not, did not find them to be trustworthy enough. And that's why we've seen so many changes in that regard. Uh, and essentially what I'm getting at is that you really do. And I think we in general have become more aware from business models, not just in clubs, but just in business in general, the impact in modern culture of weak leadership and leadership that is not willing to, to lead well. And, you know, real leadership, not just being, uh, we, we're good with decisions and we have money, but real leadership being, you know, involvement and real leadership being equipping their uh, employees or equipping their stewards to succeed best. And if you have someone like, you know, Edwards, who seems like this was a dream scenario for him, who's willing to walk away, there's got to be something that's not quite right behind the scenes. And again, this is pure speculation, but you look at the you look at the circumstances around it and you have to wonder a little bit about like whether they, I don't know about what else could have been going on because now the club is, the club does look like it's, it's suffering from the effects of insufficient and, and weaker leadership from the top down. And I think we're, we're having to kind of deal with those ramifications now, again, pure speculation on my part about it, but you look at, everything that is going on in terms of the way it's being run. And now of course, possibly being for sale. And you have to wonder if over the past couple of years, um, you know, Fenway was really checking out a lot more and it was not sitting well with the people they had put in place. But that's again, you can, you, that comes from just kind of a, a general understanding of, workplace culture and <laughs> not yeah. from any insider knowledge. Right. So that's why I say it's all pure speculation, but something doesn't seem to be quite right. But then it does lead to what you were talking about is, are we going to be able to sustain, um, you know, interest and in sustain. I don't know if sustain is the right word, but, but stay, are we as, observers from afar are going to be able to really get behind a new regime if the new regime is sports washing regime you know if that is the case that raises up a whole whole bunch of other questions but um i don't know that's those are hypotheticals i don't know if i'm ready to really <laughs> think all the way through yeah we've got other problems to talk right. to talk about before we even get to that one yeah exactly i want we'll deal with that if if the situation ever calls for it hopefully um, it's not a discussion we have to worry too much about, but, um, but all that being said, you know, that's, that's what I can kind of look at and see. I don't know if, if there's other things that stand out to you, Alex, uh, in terms of long-term issues, uh, that you wanted to get to, uh, before I, I have another question for you, but it can wait for a moment. I don't want to step, uh, through or step over if you had anything else you wanted to add real fast. I think well, it's kind of the second part of that. It's, yeah. I mean, you pointed out Mike, Michael Edwards left and not only him, like the entire team the entire that he built for the team. most part yeah. left. So there, there, and that, be, there's something weird about that. Yeah. Like whether it be a change of philosophy or some sort of writing on the wall or something like the, the team that built the squad that we have that was able to just do all these great things 
they left for some reason, and now we're in this weird transitionary period. Uh, and that needs to be fixed as well, because it wasn't even all about the incomings. It was about the outgoings of us getting to yeah. squeeze 30 mil out of Bournemouth for Solanke or 2,000 billion million bajillion for Harry Wilson. Just like getting yep. these ridiculous fees for these players that we didn't want and had no role and I think that's going to be difficult for whichever team comes in because we have a lot of players now that are in the same position that I don't know if we're going to be able to get that kind of fee for some of them because they just haven't performed or they, they're not in a spot where they're an untapped, an uncut gem or yeah. potential that could be unlocked. Like we've just got a lot of, I don't want to say dead weight in the squad, but just they're not, they're clearly not in the plans that much, or if they are in the plans, they're not able to deliver at the level that we need them to deliver. And that's got to be refreshed. Um, but with the, the lack of resources they might bring in, like doing the larger rebuild is going to be more difficult. And I think that might lead to the need to do a, a bit different model for transfers. Cause you look at the players we bring in and they've been great signings, but I don't. I don't necessarily know if they're surprises. Like they're. They're. We're not doing the same thing that Brighton is has been doing with their transfers, where they're plucking these players from South America or like Belgium or some of those smaller markets. We're letting players that we've been scouting for a while go to a mid mid sized club or right. slightly smaller, like second tier below the top 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 clubs grow a little bit, play in bigger leagues, and then we're bringing them in for still fairly sizable money, but not like astronomical. We're paying for a superstar at their peak. Like we're hitting them right before their peak, but they're not out of nowhere people. Like Fabinho was uh, a known quantity before we brought him in. That's why everybody was excited. And Virgil was a known quantity. And Allison was a known quantity. And Diaz was a known quantity. And I think the only one that would be considered a a signing like I'm talking about is like Samikas. Where no one had really seen him, no one yeah. was watching uh, Pexvola. No, he played for right. like Willem Tway. No one was really watching them play all that much while he was on and, loan from Olympiacos because no one was watching and, Olympiacos. Right, and there was an aspect of that that's very reminiscent of trying to recreate the Andy Robertson, move, right? You know, where it's like you know he was he was there and he he was okay, but like we were like, oh no no, he would fit he he'll be ideal, bring him in. I think there's a lot of that with, with that where it's like, oh yeah, we found this other left back who really matches the same profile. Um, yeah, bring him in. So I think that's, that's a, an interesting note as well. Yeah. So if we're, I mean, if we're not going to have the mega bucks or just the, the kind of this, the flat fee to bring in those levels of signings anymore without sales that we still need to be able to afford players without having to sell. Like we, the yeah. Gakpo deal was a great deal and it was an opportunistic deal for the fee that it was, but I don't think we're going to get those that often where we get someone from like a top team in a, in a they're like a, a big, smaller league, I guess like the air mm-hmm. is kind of always fluctuate, like fighting with the Portuguese league for yeah. coefficient points. Yep. But we, we may have to look at doing some more like Atalanta style scouting or even like Brighton style scouting uh, that are that are bringing in quality players that are able to step up and maybe just giving them more time or betting them in with some of the core players just to make sure that we have 
uh, enough depth to actually be able to play when we do get hit with 15, 16, 17 injuries. And I, yeah. I think that it, there were links to Sven Mislintat, who worked at Dortmund and then was brought into Arsenal and they, people didn't like it, but then a lot of his products have either gone on to different clubs and been really good or come good for Arsenal at this point. So that kind of seems to be like if we, that's what we're looking to do maybe a bit more, but I think we will have to start thinking like that unless we change how we spend and change how we operate on that front. I, I'm not super familiar with the work of Sven Nislin Todd outside of his, uh, him, him being in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, Cause that is the most like North Pole elf sounded name I've ever heard. That's the coolest name I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, yeah. it's, I hate to do that like classic American thing of making a comparison to an American sport. Uh, but it, there's so much about this that reminds me of those, those teams you see in particular, like look at uh, an NBA team in, in a league where you don't, you know, it's not transfers, it's, it's trades themselves, but a team that gets stuck between two philosophies. Right. Mm. And that's the reason I, I bring it up is because it's not super popular for, um, they're not a Fenway team, but look at the Boston Celtics several years ago who made some big time trades to bring in Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen to round things out with, with Paul Pierce to, uh, to then win a championship. Right. So they do yeah. that. And then not long after that, they realize those guys are getting a little bit older and they blow the entire team up. Yeah. And that's not a popular move, but a you can't get stuck in between two philosophies. You can't get stuck with that. And so I'm not saying that like we have to um, sell Mo and Virgil and everyone, you know, and all the veterans and all. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that it seems like the team is not is not making like wholesale philosophical changes where they should. Um, and it's worked like, for example, the Boston Celtics did blow the team up. Worked out well for them. They've been title contenders and favorites for the past several seasons. You know, they had a couple of bleak seasons, but then they had every draft pick in the world. It's turned into some of the best players in the world. And what do you know? It's been working out okay for them. But it wasn't popular at the time. And so it mm -hmm. seems like the club has to be willing to make, again, this comes down to like strong leadership, which right now we don't really have much front office leadership at all because everyone's leaving. <laughs> but uh, there has to be something about that where, where we have to be willing to make these philosophical changes to the way things are done or the way we handle um, transfers. We can't sit around trying to do like the generic pharmacy brand version of Michael Edwards business. You know, yeah. we can't we can't keep doing that. We have to be willing to to make some bigger adjustments to the way things are run. And most likely that won't happen until ownership changes. Um, so it's weird. It's a weird place to be in, but it feels like a very in-between place to be in, at least right now. Yeah, and I think that kind of comes to the, the final point is the, what is happening now and ha might have longer term implications. And it's totally understandable, but the strong leadership, like you mentioned, kind of puts sentiment to the side. And it seems like we are holding on to those players that we trusted and did mm -hmm. get us here, but are not what they once were or are good squad players or are good to have around. And 
sometimes it's hard to let them go or just not play them as much. But I think that's kind of what we're going to have to do. We've really squeezed out every last drop of performance from a lot of these players. And I think we've just burned them out, unfortunately. But that's kind of the career of a footballer. Yeah. So we might have to start letting them go or sending them on loan or just realize, hey, this is if we're going to be a top team, like you can't play as big a part as you used to. So I think those tough decisions are going to have to come up probably in the summer. I don't think they'll happen now because we just don't have the ability to it, the ability and time to invest in what we need. But there will have to be some departures for sure that will suck. Like it will hate to see a lot of those people go, but they need to happen because then other people can come in and fill out the squad and grow into the role. And maybe it will be. Uh, uh, kind of rough like it is now as those players adjust, but I think it'll pay off down the line. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's exactly it. It's, you have to be willing to make those difficult moves at the beginning to set yourself up for later on, but you have to have the plan in place mm-hmm. as well. You can't, you can't willy nilly just get rid of everybody and then hope and, and pray that like it works out. And then you can't, you know, think about, uh, Tottenham right after the Gareth Bale sell, right? Mm. Like that sale happened. They had all this money. And instead of having a plan in place, they went out and bought a whole bunch of players that it did yeah. not work. And the team was a mess for a while until next thing you know, like they've, they, it took them a while to get uh, back to where, where they are right now um, of being a, a team that actually, you know, has something about them, you know, but it took, it took them a, a several seasons because they just, they didn't have that firm plan, uh, and so it's it plays in uh, a major major factor is not just making a move willy nilly. So, all right, let me ask you this question because you were talking a little bit about um, just kind of piggybacking off what you were just talking about, but a lot of uh, especially fans of rival clubs like to try to um, make comments about the the Mane effect. And how all of the issues are because uh, we we got rid of the wrong guy, and that ball hog Mohamed Salah should have been the guy who gets sold, and Sadio Mane should have stuck around. All that. Um, how how much? Ultimately, obviously, we miss Sadio because he's an awesome player, right? Mm-hmm. But do you give any any credence at all to any? any sort of like understanding that uh, his desire to move away is playing into these larger factors, obviously us getting injured a lot and him not being available. That's a short term immediate thing, but any of like the long term, like chemistry issues, like the bigger picture stuff, do you give any, 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 or do you buy into that narrative at all? Because I'm pretty much only hear it. And it could just be because the only people like people I know that watch the sport, um, are you know united fans just because of where i live and it's absolutely miserable existence but do you put any any stock in that narrative at all uh, i it's not like we suck now because sadio left it certainly has affected how we play and i think yeah. it, him leaving changed how klopp and staff think about our build-up play and our options coming out of the back and even potentially who we wanted to bring in to replace him and that part sucks and that is good, though, because the whole point of what we needed to do was change our style of play so we didn't become predictable and 
just do the same things over and over again. People scout us for a year and are able to block us. Yeah. Um, I, I th- we kind of had the plan in place to replace him with Diaz and it was working and then he got hurt. Yes. And then we have had to play not ideal fits out there or Fabio Carvalho, who's adjusting to a new system and is a child. So <laughs> really sit in, it's not really able to hit the ground running and we've got Gakpo in now who can play that role as well. Uh, and should hopefully help, but to go along with that, like now we have our center forwards hurt, so we have to play Gakpo centrally and stick Ox out there, and it's just we're stuck always filling gaps again like we were in injury season part one, and we you can look at uh, Chelsea for a good example as well. Like they have really good players, and you look at the lineups that they put out, and you're like, oh, that team should be good. But it's not just about the names, and it's about how each player uh, absorbs and interprets the role that they're given within the system. And right now, we're fitting square pegs into round holes with a Mm -hmm. lot of how these players are interpreting the role of what we need them to do to be successful. I mean, Chelsea's having the same problem as well. So I, I think that's kind of the biggest miss for Sadio right now is that we knew what we'd get out of him and the team knew what we'd get out of him. And no, now no one is having a consistent partner in their area when they're trying to form triangles or go on overlaps and stuff. So they're just getting used to each other constantly. And that's why it looks so disjointed and just doesn't look cohesive at all. And this past match against Brighton, it looked looked like everybody gave up and got frustrated with it. It's it's crazy that literally last episode we were talking about how it seemed like targeting Gakpo specifically was that he was a good left winger that likes to play, that can drift in while Darwin likes to start central and move out to the left. And as soon as we said that, all of a sudden it's like, well, now there's injuries. Now all that, who cares? It's like we had the plan. He moved out too far to the left, to the bench, to the medical room. We are like, no, no, come back, come back. But you know, his English still isn't great. He's still working on that. So he didn't hear us anyway. Um, Yeah, it's it's crazy that like in that moment, we actually, we had the plan. We had, and it was pretty clear that we were working on a specific strategy or plan. And we still had the stupid injury bug happen. It's just insane how, how it keeps happening. But, oh, well, you have to. You have to deal with it anyway. All right, real fast. Uh, the obviously the upcoming schedule is the uh, yay FA Cup again. Uh, yeah, so you've it. got yeah. that. Yay! You've got that, and then you've got the Derby coming up. Um, no, why is that showing up? No, yeah, right. Hold on. What am I looking at? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The the schedule jumped up too far ahead of me. I was like, wait a second. That's February 13th. Sorry, you have the FA, then you have Chelsea coming up. So immediate uh, looking on the horizon. It, any any <laughs> any relief from what you could look at? Any, any bright horizon coming around? Or are we having to just trudge through the rest of January and hope that uh, February gets a little bit better? I, I think the latter. Uh, the... Cup, I don't really know what to do with that right now. Right. It could be worth it to play more of our strong side like we did in the first tie of this, but that backfired because we played like garbage. Uh, But they also need to play together more to get some chemistry, so that could be an option. But then we've got another match this week, luckily against a team who's uh, essentially in the exact same position that we are, 
that's just able to throw money at the problem and bring in 4,000 left wingers. So as long as we get extra support on the right side for that match, we'll be fine. Like someone drop and help Trent out because Trent plays attacking mid and Matzett plays attacking mid and they're both on the (laughs) right side of our defense. So we need someone back there to cover. Um, But that's, that's really it. Like, I don't know what to expect out of these. I just know I'll probably be disappointed for a lot of both games. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to look at like the, you know, there's no trend to, to base any of this off of, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the annoying things here is it, it used to be, you could say, oh, you know what, we're, we're doing pretty well against, you know, better opponents. And then we suck against bad opponents, but right now we're just sucking against every opponent and, uh, or at least seem to suck against the ones that are good because as it turns out, Brentford and Brighton are, are doing awesome. Yes. <laughs> So the fact that we're sitting right next to Chelsea on the table makes me feel like this is not going to go well for us. And if Chelsea was um, just a couple places back, we'd be doing all right. But oh, well. Um, Oh, well. We'll see what happens. And whenever we get through these next couple of matches, we'll bounce back up here and record another episode and get back with you, listener, um, on these topics. Hopefully with a little bit cheerier episode. Uh, than this one. This, of course, had to just sadly enough be what it is because the season is what it is right now. And so we are uh, just trudging through best we can and trying to keep our spirits up. (laughs) Which is difficult. (laughs) It's so hard. But that will wrap up this episode of You'll Never Talk Alone. I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you did enjoy this episode, please share it with some people. Leave a review. We are available on essentially any uh, podcast provider that you might use and uh, would love for you to drop a review on there if you haven't and uh, pass all you know share the episodes as well help spread the word on uh, our return to podcasting here in 2023 that's alex level i'm your friend joseph craven it's been uh, i won't say a pleasure to present this episode to you because this Ugh. has been pain <laughs> ouch <laughs> but We are happy to sit down and try to help uh, process this entire season with you and alongside you, because as always, you'll never walk alone. That's the motto. That's the mantra. And that's how we as fans have to stick together during this difficult season so far. So for Alex, I'm Joseph. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on You'll Never Talk Alone. Ow, my hamstring. Oh, no, Alex is hurt. Join us next week as we have to start a 16-year-old midfielder in place of Alex. Our academy podcaster has got to step up. Our academy.